Hey, hey, everybody. Today we have special guest, Kiara Ruth. She's a wife, a mom, blogger, a social media influencer, and a sexual abuse survivor. Her heart is to encourage others by sharing her story for God's glory. She's a great example of God turning our mess into a message. Hey, Kiara. Welcome to Lens of Faith. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing so good, girl. Good. So Kiara has a blog, The Banana Moon. Be sure to check it out. And just recently, she shared a series of her story of sexual abuse and how she navigates life as a wife and a mom, and she no longer lives as a victim, but as a survivor. I really admire your open honesty and being vulnerable and sharing about this painful time in your life and how God has been your saving grace. No, thank you. Far too often, children are the victims of sexual abuse. When they're innocent, they don't know any better and haven't been exposed to the world, right? You encountered this at a very young age. If you would share a little bit about that time in your life. Yes, I grew up um, in a single parent household. Um, When I was about six, um, I moved um, to be with my aunt in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, But prior to that, I had my first experience with sexual abuse at the age of two. I was given gonorrhea. Wow. I would later find out that there was an investigation done, et cetera. um, And they found somebody else who had gonorrhea as well. Um, And so that's how my mom knew that I had been penetrated at two. Um, So that was my very first experience. Now, I don't remember that. Um, And so I think I never really talk about it because it's something that I was told. but you have to get gunnery from somewhere, you know, like it's, you know, and there are other things that could have happened, but my mom told me that. And that's what I've always known. Um, but when I was about six or seven, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota with my aunt. Um, and there, you know, it was great. My aunt, she lived in St. Louis park. She had a beautiful home there, amazing family. Um, and she sent me to a childcare facility that we would go to was an in-home childcare facility. Um, and I mean, I just remember it being fun. There were a lot of kids there. There were girls there my age. Um, and then my cousin was there with me who I live with. Um, but it kind of got to where that one particular day I was, I was the helper. And so she sent me the the lady over the childcare facility sent me downstairs to get ice cream sandwiches. Um, and I went down there and I heard a voice and it happened to be her 16 year old son. And I mean, I think he was like 16. I, I can't really remember, but, um, he was like, do you need help? And I'm like, no, you know, like I'm good. Like I, I can do it. And so he walks me over, you know, as I'm walking b- about to go up the steps, he tells me to come here. And so I'm thinking like, wait, I'm doing my job. Like I was really excited about this job. And so he walks me over, he pulls me over, he points to my vagina and he goes, do you know what that is? And I was like, I think I named it. And I was like, yeah, it's my private area whatever. And he said, can I touch it? And you know, like, I'm just, I'm puzzled, you know, but I'm, I'm seven, I'm six or seven. So I'm like, right you're not supposed in my head I'm probably you're not supposed to but okay he touches me you know begins to fondle me etc that was the first time and I you know I go back upstairs and I don't remember very vivid but I do remember that particular part and I go back upstairs like nothing ever happened it was like okay 
And so then as I begin to go over there more often, you know, I would be sleep on the, in the room because just a little backstory, the family was my, the family that I was living with my aunt and her kids, that was her kids family. So we would spend a night over there. It was nothing for us to have a big sleepover. They had a really nice house. Um, and he would come and wake me up in the middle of the night. Now that I look back on it, I've gone through therapy and counseling and things like that. Um, a lot of people don't talk about this, but I began to look at him as somebody I was in a relationship with because it was that frequent. And you're also giving yourself to the person and it's the only, it's your first person, the first person that you've ever been with. So you kind of have a soul tie in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was normal. Like I, it became a normal thing. Like, and I, you know, and it's sick to think about it, but I remember what it looks like. You know, it was just like, he was, that was, I knew what I was there to do. A couple years later, um, you know, I ended up moving back home and nobody ever talked about it. And in, in some, in some parts of me, I feel like the girls that were around me, they knew that I was, something was going on because I would just go missing and I would be like, not there. And I would be sleep. They will all be sleeping. I'm the only one up moving around at night. Like I just, when I look back on it, I'm like, okay, maybe they didn't. I, I'm just not for sure. But I struggle with that too. Like, am I the only one? And so when I was 10, I had a rash on my vagina from using this strawberry soap. Um, I just, I had an allergic reaction to it. I, you know, you're, you know, you're young. You're like, Ooh, I got strawberry soap. And I had gotten a, um, a yeast infection from it. And the yeast infection was so bad. I was just scratching it. It was just, it was just itching and burning. And I told my mom about it. And my mom, she was like, I told you about using that scented soap. You just need to use regular, like, you know, and so my grandma brings me to the hospital. They do a a checkup on me and it was kind of like similar to a pap smear. And I remember it hurting. Like I was like, this hurts. And so they somehow took it from the um, pap smear that I had been sexually abused. You know, the nurse comes back with a guy and he's like, hey, they're like, do you want your grandmother in here or out? And I was like, she can get out because I don't want, (laughs) I didn't know what was going on. And so they made her go outside. He said, has anybody ever touched you similar to what you told me happened to you? And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. And I just told him, I just laid it out. Why they believed me was because I said, if you don't believe me, you can ask my cousin. And me and my cousin, we were close at the time. And I knew that if she said that it happened, they would believe it because they were in Catholic school. That was a cut, like that was his actual cousin. And he had done it to her too. Not as me. I feel like I got like the biggest part of it. And so they called my aunt. My aunt went to go pick up my cousin from school, sat her down. um, And the detectives asked her the same thing. Um, And she said yes. And I feel like I was so grateful. And she doesn't know this, but I'm just so thankful that she told the truth because it was it allowed my truth to be told. Cause had she not done that, I, I feel like I would have been like labeled as like a liar or like the black sheep, which I had already started to feel like that anyway. 
but I'm so grateful for her for being so strong and telling the truth because she could have been like, no, that didn't happen. She's lying, but she did that. And it made a way for me to heal. And so I, all that happened and I don't know. I, I never asked any questions. Nobody ever told me what happened with the investigation. I don't know. I just remember after that, I went to the police station, police asked me, and that's when I told them about my cousin and, you know, from that point forward, I think, you know, my mom, you know, I feel like she was protective of me. Like she, I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like it was one of those things where, you know, she was very strategic about who I live with because when I moved out, when I moved back to Arkansas, I was living from um, house to house, et cetera. Um, and that wasn't my last experience with sexual abuse. You know, as I, every experience that I had, it was one of those things where the wound was never healed and then they'll just snatch it off and then they'll mess it up again and put cuts in it. And then somebody else will try to come and put a bandaid on it, but it was never truly a bandage. It was just like one of those little, you know, those little liquid band-aids. That's what I feel like it was. And then I'll fall again and then it'll open back up. It was like putting Neosporin on a wound when it needed surgery. Yes. And so I didn't go to therapists. I didn't, nobody ever asked me after that, Kira, how are you doing? Nobody ever mentioned it. So to this day, do you know what ever happened to, like, where is he now, that offender, that teenager? Um, You know, I know he went to prison for something totally separate from sexually abusing me. And I felt like that was my redemption. I don't know why I just was like, good. He got all the years. This is <laughs> you're like, won't he do it? <laughs> yes. And so I don't know. Like I, that's all I know. Yeah. And you know, the truth is from all the stories that I've ever heard that the perpetrator has been abused themselves. And so they're actually repeating things that have been done to them. Mm-hmm not justifying it or anything, but it kind of gives you a better understanding. Like you don't know what his past was. He might've been getting abused by an uncle or someone that he knew, or, you know, he was obviously exposed to it to even know what to do at 16. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it did happen, I didn't know. And so I think that that happened with my story too. Like nobody ever asked, nobody ever mentioned it. And so it became something that was, um, quiet like nobody talked about it and I think too like there were so many things at my young age that was that that nobody really that I never really addressed like here I was I was from another state living in a new state I was already an add-on to the family I didn't want to create friction to where I wouldn't have any where would she send me you know my mom sent me there those are the things that I've had to process through like okay well if I do tell then that means somebody's going to take me and then I won't see my mom like and so as a seven-year-old I think a lot of fear yeah there was a lot of fear so he didn't even have to say if you tell anybody I just kind of knew like if I tell anybody who's going to believe me anyway I'm not a part of this family I'm not a part of this um circle anyway you know here I'm from out of state and so just not wanting to shake things up to keep things consistent for me. Right. Which is kind of sad for a seven-year-old to have to process those feelings because I want it to feel wanted and I want it to feel worthy. Yeah. Oh, you're so innocent at the age. You don't even know what this world has, you know, what's out there. It's just. Yeah. How old is your son, Miles? He's six. So he's at the same age that you were at when this happened. 
But now you you kind of have your own child and you get to see like how innocent they are. Yeah. And so even like communicating with Miles, I'm like, you know, it just even to think about him, I will go to the, the links, like anything that I, to protect my child, me being cautious because I wish someone was more cautious with me. I totally get that. But also knowing that Miles is protected and that he, we're not putting him in situation, but but then also too thinking like my aunt didn't know, you know, she could have known that she was doing the best that she could do. Right. But yeah, but not being naive either to think that, you know, every place that miles goes, nobody's going to hurt him. And yes, I know that miles is covered and miles is protected, but I also know that there are just people out there who are cruel and mean. I, the only thing I really do is pray for him and pray that he's protected. Right. And so, yeah, I think as I like got older, things became heavy for me, right? I'm sexually abused by multiple men. And then, you know, I go to school and they're like, hey, don't have sex or hey, like you shouldn't, you know, do this or you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, but that's what that's what my body's for. Right. And, And what a sad thing to think about, you know, like. Well, that's what I'm here for. Like, I have never met a man who didn't see me sexually. You know, I've never encountered since seven. You know, I, you know, at 13, there was a guy who like he would like me so much. I think he was like 21. And he was like, when you turn 18, we're going to be together. He, he just put his claim on you. Right. And so, like, how do you begin to process those things as a teenager to say, OK, And then also too, I didn't have a relationship with Christ. So I wasn't being reassured of those promises that God tells me. And so I had earthly wisdom and then I wouldn't get godly wisdom until I became a Christian. And so with the earthly wisdom, it was being very street smart to go a little bit deeper. You know, I remember being young and I didn't want to be attractive um, because being attractive somehow was a curse because I, men like me and I'm like, why, why? Like, I I don't want this face. Like, I don't want people to like me because of all the things that I had experienced. And so I had to realize that it's like, God made me perfect in his, like he made me the way that he wanted to make me. And so I have to learn to accept that it has nothing to do with them. Like that God has to work on them. The only thing you can do is work on you. And so I think that was one thing that I struggled with too, because it was really hard. Like, first of all, here I am. I am a woman. I do have curves. I do have, you know, I do have the things that men desire. But then if you strip all that away from me and let's say I just had a pretty face, I still was desirable. And so I didn't want to be desirable. So how do I begin to shift my mindset so that my husband can love me well? And I think that was really hard for me was understanding that the Lord create, like in my marriage, it's okay for my husband to desire me. (laughs) He better. (laughs) It's okay for him to like my curves. It's okay for him to tell me I'm beautiful. And that was something I had to work through because of the past trauma, because of men whistling at me um, and because of men grabbing me or, you know, telling me I'm so pretty and they can't wait till I turn 18. And so I had to like, you know, it was just one of those things like that people, they really don't talk about from that. Hey, you touching me is not okay. And so now when my husband tries to come touch me, I'm like, uh, 
wait. And he's like, no, but I love you. And I'm like, you know, and so I think that's something too that I I tried to convey with my, you know, blog is that it, it wasn't easy. You had to maneuver through situations to get me out of this abuse or to get me out of certain things. And I think that it carried me, right? So like it carried me to 17 to where I did develop a relationship with Christ. That leads me into my next question, Kara. When you were a teenager, your faith and healing journey began. Tell us more about that time in your life. Yeah, I was 17, um, but I think it started a little bit before that. I, when I turned 14, I got my first job and I worked. That was my way of working through the process. Like I would go to high school and then when I got out of school, I would work. Um, and I began to set these standards for myself at a very young age. You know, at 14, people are trying to tell you who you are. No, I was very matter of fact. I knew who I was. I knew what I was going to be because I was like, I cannot allow what I went through to, because I had been through so much up to that, to 14. Like I had been homeless. I I mean, we had experienced so much. And so I just kind of knew the life that I wanted. But the only thing that was missing was the love of Christ. That's everything. Yeah. I became a Christian at 17. It was the first time that I felt like the people around me weren't there to get anything from me. Went to high school. My mom told me to go see a counselor there, uh, her high school counselor who actually graduated my my mom when she was pregnant with me. And she was still there as a counselor, which was crazy. Um, And she invited me to church. And I was like, I don't have any church clothes. And she was like, no, the Lord said, come as you are. And um, I was like, okay, you know, I'll go. And she came to pick me up like every Sunday, like, cause she was a Sunday school superintendent. So I had to get there before everybody. Um, And I was like, this is not the life for me. (laughs) This is not the life for me. That's hilarious. But (laughs) I've never been a morning person. That definitely would not be the life for me. early. Like I don't have, like I'm dressed. I'm not even dressed properly. They were the true definition of what it meant to be disciples of Christ. Because I could come to church looking a mess, which I never did, but I would, I could be, and they'll be like, oh, hey, here, how are you? You look great. Do you need anything? How are things going? How can we be praying for you? And I'm like, these people are weird because when you're not used to that, it's like, they're weird. Church people are weird. And so <laughs> you weren't used to healthy is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't used to people loving me unconditionally. You know, I would hear the word and I would, I begin to like tithe, pray and be more consistent and try to, you know, yeah. I'm not going to lie. My, my beginning relationship with Christ was based all on works. Um, because I was like, well, you said if I do, if your word says, if I do, you know, like in my head, I was like processing this, like, okay, God, like, if I do all these things, then you're going to bless me. And so, yeah, I think that really laid that foundation at 17 of like what it meant to, you know, to make disciples, but also be discipled. Um, And that changed my life. Yeah. Like them loving me well. One story in particular, by this time I was in college, et cetera, and I'd moved in with the family from our church and they invited me to stay, which I thought was really generous. Um, and I was, she was married. My, I call her my godmother now. My godmom was married. And I was very 
afraid to be around a man. And I thought she's crazy. Like, why would, like, I just couldn't wrap my head around these people being nice. And this lady's really nice and she's married and she invited a woman into her house, a young lady to in her house to stay. What is going on? That was the first time ever I had been around a man and he never, ever, ever made sexual advances at me. God was like, I'm going to show you what it means to be around a man of God. Yeah. I'm going to show you what it means to be loved and not be, you know, physically touched. And he never did that. He was always very like careful. Like he was just, you know, he, it was like, he was my dad and like a dad protects his daughter. I felt that love. And that for me was really powerful. And I was like, how do I, like, how do I get a husband? Like, like exactly. I couldn't wrap my head around this adult man being so kind to me, but he didn't want anything sexual for me. Like that was weird for me. And so that changed my, like, I mean, it just blew my mind. It just literally blew my mind. And I know that sounds crazy, but I couldn't wrap my head around that. It changed my life forever. You know, it it opened up doors for men to love me well um, because of that example. It was like, God was like, yes, I'm your father. I am your heavenly father, but I'm going to give you an earthly father that shows you what it's like to be loved by a dad. Amen. You know what I mean? It, that for me was big. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, God wanted to use a man to reflect his love because it was men that were the cause of your turmoil up until that point. Yeah. Kira, when would you say was your turning point to where your life was just never the same again? Yeah, I think um, this is a really big point in my life. So I went on a, I started going to this, I'm now married, of course, because I think I was still dealing with a lot of trauma and going through a lot of things. Even when I met my husband, I was very broken um, I had, I hadn't dealt with the trauma, even though I had a church family, et cetera, I hadn't dealt with those things. You know, I, my guy mom pointed it out to me and I wanted to take the necessary steps, but I thought it was kind of interesting that you have to go and talk to someone about your problems. Cause I'd never done that. And I went on a mission trip to Peru. Um, and my son was two when, when I went on the mission trip, you know, everybody has a job. Like everybody just kind of had a job based on what you do. So we had like a hairdresser. She did the kids hair and like the people's hair. And then we had an interior designer. She helped like set up the photo booth, et cetera. Then we had people who worked for the church that went, you know, they have different jobs. Me, I was put with the kids because I was stay at home mom and I didn't really have like a job. Yeah. I had kind of felt like I wasn't really connecting with the host, like the home host. Um, and I kind of felt like my answers, like when they would have like Christian conversations, et cetera, a lot of my answers would go back. I would, they would go back to my husband, right? Like my husband's very knowledgeable. He's very smart. Or like, I would talk about miles because those are the, those are the things that had defined me at that point. We were leaving and everybody was talking about how they, this trip was like life changing and like, it was a powerful trip for them. And I didn't feel that. Um, I was worried because I was like, or I was just confused with, so I was like, why am I feeling this way? Like, why am I not feeling fulfilled? And I realized sitting in the airport, I was sitting in the airport and I just started sobbing. And, um, one of the, 
the girls who was over the trip, she came up to me. She said, Kira, what's wrong with you? And I said, I just don't understand why the Lord brought me all the way to Peru for me to realize that my identity is in him and it's not in the things that I've been through. Like, or it's not in my husband. It's not in my son. Like, why would he do that? Like, I could have had this come to Jesus moment at home on my couch when I'm praying. But he brought me to South America, days away from where I live, you know, hours Mm -hmm. to show me that he wasn't at the forefront of my life. I know now that my mind needed to be clear of the trauma of my husband, of Miles asking me of things, my husband asking me of things, the trauma holding me down for me to see what he had for me because I've been so clogged up with all of these emotions and trying to be this for my husband and trying to be that for my son and still dealing with the trauma that I couldn't fully see his face. So good. So good. So in that moment, I, I said, you know what guy, like my identity is in you and I need to walk in that. And the things that you say about me, I have to believe that they're true. Yes, yes, yes. And so I um, ended up coming home. I called Terrence. I was like, I need to meet up with you. And I said, um, I just want to let you know that my identity is in Christ Amen. and not in you. And he said, that's been my prayer because I saw you struggling. In my head, I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? But it wasn't his place. I had to recognize the power that the Lord had in me. I had to recognize the words that he says to me. I had to walk in the confidence that he's given me for me to realize that right. if I believe who he says he is, then I believe that he will change my life. And I believe that he will make me the mom and the wife and the person that I'm meant to be in spite of my trauma. So true. Only he can make all things new. Yes. And so I think that was that shift of me like taking a step back. So after that, like I got back and this is kind of funny, but like I started to do, I was like, oh, I never did yoga before. I'm gonna go do yoga. Oh, I never drank coffee at a coffee shop. I'm gonna go drink coffee. I'm gonna start taking miles around. Like I, I, I never knew, like I didn't know like that I love to try new foods because I was so caught up in, okay, well, what does Terrence like? What does Miles like? And I realized that I didn't want to be 20 years down the road. And someone asked me, this was on a movie, um, asked me, how do you like, how do you like your, I don't know, your mac and cheese. And you're like, well, I like it how my son likes it. He likes it with extra mozzarella. Like, I want to be sure of that. Like, I want to be like, this is how I like it. Mm, I love mac and cheese. And yes, extra, extra mozzarella for me. Yeah. And so I came up with this thing of like finding my voice. So yeah, like I had to like, take a step back and just realize like, you know, all the things that I went through, like understanding suffering, like what that means, understanding that, you know, God gets the glory through our suffering, you know? Yes. If you allow him to, it'll be beauty instead of ashes. You know, Isaiah 61, three talks about instead of ashes, he'll give you beauty, you know, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And we will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And he's using your life to display his splendor. Yes. I think 
people look at Christians, they're like, oh, things are supposed to be unicorn and rainbows. No, not how it's supposed to be. There's nothing that tells us that things are going to be perfect. But we are serving the one that is perfect. And he gives peace, joy, and love that this world can never offer. Yeah. You know, he alone promises and keeps his promise that he will never leave or forsake us. He makes us whole when we're broken. He is our restoration. So like the enemy wants us to live fearful and shameful and broken from our past, but God has come to set the captive free, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's when the earthly wisdom and the godly wisdom begin to battle in my life, right? Because what do you mean? I can't dwell in my past. Like I want to do, like, I want to be sad. Like I want that story to be, I just want that story to be important and it can be, but you have to heal from it. And if you don't heal from it, then you're going to fall back into this life of, you know, uncertainty and depending on earthly wisdom to get you through. And that's not what God wants from us. Well, definitely the enemy wants to keep us bound, keep us in our chains, keep us, you know, in bondage. And the truth is healing takes work, right? Yeah. Sometimes we can just get so used to the pain and so used to how it always has been. God died that we'd be whole and healed and free of any bondages, free of anything that would hinder us from being who he's called us to be, right? Yeah. But to allow God to go deep into our souls and heal us in a deep way, in a whole way from trauma, that's uncomfortable. So that's why so many people would rather stay in their mess and just in survival mode because freedom actually takes work. But God doesn't call us to survive. He calls us to thrive. He's asking us to lay it all down, to give it all to Him. He already knows everything that's happened to us. He knows all the pain, all the hurt, all the trauma, all the abuse. He knows everything that we've been through, and He wants us to give it to Him. And then He can come in and He can do the heart surgery that He needs to do. Yes. And so I think that was like that turning point for me that began to help me understand that God should be at the center of it all. And when He's at the center... Everything else will do what it's supposed to do. Everything's not going to be perfect, but you will begin to heal from it. Um, And so I did, you know, I started going to therapy. Um, You know, I was, and I, me and my husband started going to therapy together. Um, Things just started to shift. And I think it was because, you know, I started putting him first and not the trauma and not my husband and not my son. Things started shifting for me. Yeah, and that's what he requires from all of us. We have to think about the word healing, like it's continue, like continuing thing. Like it's not, you know, there will be some things that, you know, my I thought I may have gotten over, right? And then my husband may do something or my mom may say something and it'll trigger me. And I'm like, wait, I thought I was over that. Paul in scripture, he tells us to die daily because those are like the sins that we, the things that we harbor in our hearts. Like we have to pray that the Lord makes us new every single day or the things of yesterday will haunt us and they will keep us in bondage. That's so true. That's so true. And part of the healing that he wants to do is forgiveness. And that's something that is not overnight. You know, that's something that does take time and it takes every day forgiving your offender and blessing your enemies, right? Yeah. So that's not an easy thing to do, but it does. It takes that daily surrender, that daily giving it all to God, laying it before him every day, even when we don't feel like it. And even when you are triggered and even when things do get brought up, you know, just captivating your thoughts and just laying it all before him at all times. 
Yes. Every day that I wake up, like I have to ask God to heal me. Like, Lord, I want to be healed. Like I have this desire to want to be more like you. And how do I do that? Um, And so I think taking it day by day, um, that has been like my number one thing is like taking it day by day. And like, I'm so grateful for my husband. Shout out to my husband. He sounds like a great guy. Yes, because he is, he's been like, super patient with me. He knows that I'm complex. He knows that I have so many different layers, but I feel like God put him in my life to love me at every layer. And it's very rare that you find like find someone who can do that. And so when I'm at my worst, he's like, I love you. And when I'm at my best, he's like, Hey, I love you. And that's something that I know God, like nobody can, like, I know that God, made this union and he wanted to bring you an example of a godly man because you didn't even know what that was for so much of your life yeah 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 and in the beginning like he was just so confused by me like he was like what's going on like you kind of crazy I'm like I really am but (laughs) (laughs) but I love but you know I'm crazy with a good heart no I think just to know that like process that I have somebody to walk through it with has been very helpful Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That's, I just love to see, you know, painful things happen to all of us, things that cause brokenness in our life, even root systems. But when we see the power of God come and he's at work and he heals us and he removes things that the enemy wants to use to keep us idle and keep us broken and keep us damaged. But then God comes in and he wants to set us free. And it's just so beautiful to see how he can only he can really turn around things and heal a heart and make all things right and all things new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always so beautiful. And why I love Jesus so much is because there's no one like him. There's no one like him. No lover is going to love you like him. No person is going can heal you. No therapist is going to fix the issues like he can. Yeah. He's a great physician. He's a great therapist. He's a great husband. He's a great lover. He's everything that we need. There's no greater than him. Mm-hmm. I just love a redemption story. And when I see the enemy defeated, you very well would be a different person right now if it wasn't for God, you know, and what the enemy meant to destroy you, God used to flourish you. And that's what I tell people a lot of times. Like I was one step away. Right. So grateful that he like was there. Like he was just like, Mm -hmm. no, I have something for you. There's still redemption in that. Still loving that. Like God still sees you. God still Mm -hmm. loves you. And I think that's something I had to realize that trauma is one of those things I, you know, if you're not careful, you attract those around you because you're trapped. And so it has a way of like taking hold of you and like, you know, reeling you in and, you know, and then if you, when you're like spiraling, it'll throw you back out and it'll reel you back in. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's one of those things that's ever changing, but God is much bigger than that. Yeah. When you were talking about how it's a daily life of surrender, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just when we think that we are okay, or we've conquered an area of weakness or, you know, there's no triggers for a while, you know, we think we're okay. The enemy will creep Mm -hmm. in. You know, the Bible tells us not to put any confidence in the flesh, you know, because the flesh is weak. So we can't think that we're okay or that we would never do something or Mm -hmm. we're past something. 
because really in a moment of weakness, you know, we can spiral if we're not careful, right? So we have to be fully confident mm-hmm. in who we are in Christ, you know, and we have to be fully aware that it's because of him every mm-hmm. day that we are who we are. And we need his grace and his forgiveness every day. It's not a one-time deal. Because the enemy will use your past to keep you stuck and to keep you trapped. And God wants us to be free of things that are not of him. Yeah. One of, one of the things I have recently come to, and you hear this all the time, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, pray. But when you're in prayer daily and constantly throughout the day, like I can look at something and it reminds me of something. I just need to be in prayer about that. You know, somebody may come to my mind. I'm praying. People may think I'm crazy. I'm out in public. My mouth is moving. I'm like, okay, Lord, protect me while I walk into this store. <laughs> well, these days people just think you have a Bluetooth. <laughs> and one of the things that like has really helped me is called like it's like an ACTS model. It's A C T S. It's um, affirm, which you're. It's it's a model for prayer. So A is for affirmation. So you're affirming God. God, you're great. God, you're good. You're all these things. C is confession. So you're confessing your sins. Um, um, T is thanksgiving. So you're giving thanks to the Lord. And then S is supplement. So you're that's when you go into the asking phase. Yeah, I've never heard of that, but it's actually very similar to what I do every day. Um, I've been doing this for years where I start out thanking God, not for what he's done for me, but just for who he is. So for his unchanging character, then I go and I repent. Mm -hmm. Even if there's nothing that I feel convicted about, I just want to keep my heart pure and clean. So after that, I repent and I just repent for any pride, any selfish motive, any way in me that doesn't please him. Right. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, I captivate my thoughts and I literally speak, um, second Corinthians, um, 10, five over my mind, which says I come against every pretension, any thought that does not come in alignment with you, I captivate every thought, right? And that clears my mind. Then I start spending time with God, whatever that looks like, right? But those are the three things I do every day. And that's pretty much what you just said, acts. Mm -hmm. Me, I mean, I I pray often, but I think for people who are new and they want to like, they don't know what to say or like they don't, that's a great model to follow. Right. You know, because you're just calling off the characteristics of God and confessing your sin. I think repentance is a hard one for people, but I think those are the things that set us free, right? Amen. Yes. Repent and ask God for forgiveness. I mean, those are the things that set set you free. And I've had to realize that over time, you know, and also too, like you said, it may not be something that you have done that's like a sin or et cetera. But for me, I always, even in my prayer, I'm like, Lord, forgive me for the things that I hide in my heart. Amen. Right. There are sins that we hide in our heart that we do not want people to know. Yeah, secret sin. I just need the Lord to bless me on that because I'm I'm not strong enough right now to admit that sin, but I'm admitting it to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, or sometimes we don't even know, like, you know, the Bible says to lay down and search your heart, stay still and search your heart because there's things and the enemy wants to keep those things hidden, right? He's He's all about secrets, right? And so he wants us to think, oh, we don't really have pride. We don't really struggle with this. We don't struggle with that. It's all normal, right? But when we allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, that's when he starts to reveal things that, you know, no, that is wrong. And I want you to, you know, break that off your life. Yeah. I was having this feeling towards something. You know, I I personally, I just asked God, I was like, why am I feeling this way? You know, help me to understand, like, 
why I have these feelings and give me the necessary steps so that I can reveal that whatever this feeling is so I can begin to take the necessary steps to heal from this or to for you to give me the words that I need to move forward. And I think a lot of times, like when we have like a thought, it's like, we're just, oh God, take that thought away from me. No, like it might be something. Lord, reveal in me what it is that you're trying to show me or tell me. And then if it's not of you, God, remove it away from me. Take that, take that sin away from me. And I think we have to be confident in asking for those things and be honest about the things that we're struggling with. Yeah, that's true. Because many times thoughts, even negative thoughts can just be God telling us, I want you to deal with this. Like you still have unforgiveness or you still have these issues that I want to come and heal you from and work on. Yeah. One of the things I struggled with was um, being sexual. You know, that's something that I had to pray about. You know, with my, like, this man is my husband. Like, we've done what you've asked us to do. I I need help, God. I need you to help me. You know, I need you to guide me, show me what I need to do. You know, like, and it's okay to ask for those things because that's what he's there for. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Yeah, because the enemy wants you to have a less than perfect marriage, right? He's all about division. So, um, God wants to heal you. So, you know, nothing's dirty to you. Right. Um, because in the bed of marriage, it's not dirty. It's, it's God, you know, and it's intended for pleasure. It's not, you're not supposed to do it because you feel obligated or because you were forced to do it at some point in your life. So, you know, he's my husband, so I have to do it. You know, he wants you to enjoy marriage, right? Every aspect of it. And the more whole and healed that you become, the more that you will enjoy that, right? You'll enjoy all the details of marriage, right? Yes. If you ask for those things and it's in his will, he will make it happen. And I tell people all the time, like I ended the last post, I was like, in all aspects, we're we're doing great. You know? <laughs> yes, that's how it should be. It's like God is healing me. And that's what comes along. Like when you begin to heal yourself, you can love other people better. What encouragement would you give other women that have experienced abuse? Oh, that's, that's such a deep question. I feel like I'm always trying to encourage in some type of way. But I think the number one encouragement I will give them is walk in your truth. And I say that because a lot of times when we're broken, we don't want to tell people we're broken. A lot of times when we aren't healed, we don't want to tell people that we aren't healed. A lot of times when we're having a bad day or we don't want to be honest about where we are. And I found myself doing a lot of that before I started walking in my truth. Um, and just knowing that it's okay. Every day is not going to be perfect. Every day is not going to be a walk in the park, but the moment that you begin to fall on Jesus, pray to him and ask him for the things that you need, you'll be able to fully walk into who he's called you to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So really it's about walking in God's truth, not our truth. Because it's what makes me who I am. And that's the only thing I can be is my authentic self. I can't be you. I can't be my best friend. I can only be me. And so that's that will be my number one encouragement. Well, Kiara, thank you so much for being on today and for sharing your heart with us. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. There's so much freedom and healing in sharing our story. So keep on, girl. Keep on. I know that this is just the beginning for you, and God is going to use you on many platforms to bring His truth. So I'm praying for you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate that. I just want to say um, thank you again for thinking of me and asking me. I appreciate that. Um, You know, I always put things out in the atmosphere. And one of the things that I said I wanted to do was to be on a podcast. Wow. What confirmation. Wow. That really encourages me. I had no idea. So when I, when you asked me to do the podcast, I was like, Jesus, you just, you are just amazing. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, I'm telling you, see how God sets things up. Would you mind leading us out in prayer? Maybe a word of encouragement for those that have walked through abuse or are experiencing it now? Yeah, sure. Father God, who we live, breathe, and have our being, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the ultimate healer, Father. Lord, that you are with us every step of the way. Lord, you go before us. Lord, you are a God who stops the wind and the rain. Lord, you are a God who moves mountains. We stand in awe of you. Lord, we pray for those sins that we hide in our hearts, Father God. Lord, we pray for the things that we've done that's been against you, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to talk about healing and trauma, Lord, to talk about our experiences. Lord, we thank you for each and every woman who has walked through this time of just uncertainty and hurt. Lord, I ask that you touch each and every woman right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you heal them right now from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. Lord, allow them to know that they are beautifully wounded. But Lord, you are the ultimate healer. And Lord, all they have to do is come to you. Lord, I pray that um, if they're keeping this um, buried and it's something that's weighing them down, Lord, that you would allow them to know that they can walk in freedom because of who you are and what your word says. Lord, you told us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. So Lord, I pray that the women who have experienced sexual abuse, that they will see that and that they will understand it. Lord, I pray for the woman who may not have a relationship with you, Father God, but something led her to this podcast to listen. Lord, I pray that you allow her to know that you are bigger, you are better, and Lord, that she's worthy to be your daughter. So Lord, I thank you for this time to pray. I thank you for this time to talk about healing. And Lord, I pray for this podcast that it will reach many. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. To follow more of Kiara's journey, you can visit her blog at thebananamoon.com. And if you are experiencing any form of abuse, there is help. Please contact Rain, R-A-I-N-N dot org, or the Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE. Subscribe at leahmariecarson.com and follow on Instagram at the Lens of Faith. 
Remember, life becomes clearer when we focus through the lens of faith. Talk to you soon. Music